0: Hi, my friends. I do this work with all my heart for you. So please, contribute generously to Future Primitive. My friends who listen to Future Primitive, I'm, I'm thrilled, I'm excited, and I'm happy um, to be once again with our constant friend, Philip Shepard, friend of Future Primitive and a friend of mine, Philip Shepherd, who uh, wrote the book New Self, New World, recovering our senses in the 21st century and i have to say i i really think that it's very important to speak again and again about recovering our senses because um i feel like we are navigating on this sea of reality and uh, Personally, I believe that my senses are the divine compass that has been given to, to me to get through this life. So um, you know that uh, Philip Shepherd is an actor, a poet, a writer. He has produced plays and a documentary for CBC Television, he has toured canada with a show edited a book on art criticism and he has written this book that i think is very precious and uh is now writing a second book so um since i mentioned that philip let me ask you how is the writing of your new book coming? You completed your Indiegogo campaign in July and uh, you've been at it, haven't you?
1: I've been at it doggedly and with such such love. I took, you know, it's funny maybe it's just my process. I, I started uh, writing it and then uh, got stalled, partly just because I, I didn't have the resources to commit to it in terms of time and and then i did uh the indiegogo campaign which was so great and 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 when i started it again i i just started from a different place and uh, worked you know you sit with it and you work and you listen to it and you give it a nudge and at a certain point it just it just sort of clicked into place um uh the the core of it the the shape of it and and so i'm i 'm at that process in the writing now where where as I settle into it i 'm in heaven <laughs> oh. i'm just you know i just it's it's my it 's such a beautiful gift to me to to be able to sit with the the subtlety of this material and Feel my way through it, and 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 find words emerging from the darkness that that somehow catch the sense of and and, and delineate the 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 differences and, and and lineaments of of what I'm talking about. So it's 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 uh, I couldn't I couldn't be more grateful for that.
0: Wow! So uh, tell us what the um what the tentative title of the book is, and, and if, if you wish, sort of um, tell us about some some ideas that have emerged and that you are pulling out of the axis of your being.
1: Oh, lovely. I'd be delighted. The, the title of the book is Radical Wholeness. Mm. And I realized, you know, all of my work... Really has to do with moving towards wholeness and it's, i don't I don't think anyone ever arrives at a place where you say, "Ah now i'm whole, it 's done, but you know it's it's something you're either you're either closer to it or further from it, and you can you can feel that difference and and there's a profound challenge within our culture in terms of that work towards wholeness, because our culture is turned in exactly the opposite direction. We, we, we barely recognize the wholeness of the world, and the wholeness of the world is its one reality. There is nothing in the world that stands apart from the wholeness of of all that is uh, of the cosmos, uh, and yet we, we define our world in a way that stands independent of that reality. So you think of, um, you think of success, hmm. for example, and, and, well, success, I mean, any activity you undertake is, is guided by an idea of the success that That you want is the outcome of it and yet we've we've defined success in our culture in a way that it has nothing to do with wholeness so you know you look at the people um, who are held up as successes because they've earned money or they've gained notoriety or or something and 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 that Pinnacle of success may have been achieved by abandoning wholeness you know that you, you sort of you sort of consider um, certain parts of yourself you you let go of them, you let go of loves and dreams and sensitivities as as collateral damage on the way to this idea of success and and to to Reunite success with wholeness. It's it's not something our culture is ready to do. But boy, on an individual level, uh, you know, I think that's where it all that's where that's where the big transformation has to begin. And I, you know, to sit with yourself and 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 understand that that you you can move towards the ease and the freedom and the clarity the effortlessness of your own wholeness but but in order to do that there are all these um paradigms that we're given by our culture and we're we're nourished on these paradigms from infancy so we don't even have a choice as to whether or not to accept them or whether to question them and these paradigms are like Anchors that, that tie us to partition, tie us to self-division and self-conflict. And so my book, you know, the first part of my mm-hmm. book is looking at those paradigms that bind us
0: right. um,
1: in, in a way of operating that comes from idea and self-conflict and control and assesses them and and finds a way to let go of them and the second half of my book is all about practices because every one of these paradigms that we've been given shows up in our body shows up in our relationship to the body so for my money you know to come back to the body and begin to allow your sensitivity to sort of creep back into it like a tender, tender tendril <laughs> um, and, and, and awaken to the present and the world around you is the surest way of liberating yourself from these, these um, fractious paradigms that we don't even see because we, we've grown up within them as, as infants.
0: So once we are given the grace of seeing that we, we live in certain, certain unwilling paradigm prisons, or that's the way I experience it, mm. um, what would you say is the best way that we can first live with the awareness of our unwholeness? So that we can travel towards wholeness.
1: Boy, one of the one of the big things in, in terms of living with our awareness of our unwholeness, mm-hmm. one of the big things is how we try to grasp reality. And I'm, you know, I I I I, uh, I think of the cloud of unknowing. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with it. it this anonymous monk in the 1300s wrote a, a little um, a little treatise for a student who was seeking God, mm-hmm. and and the cloud of unknowing actually says something to the effect of, you you cannot think your way to god you cannot get god by reason you cannot capture god in argument you can only approach god through love so this this idea that 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 god is in a cloud of unknowing no no um no form of reasoning can penetrate it but love Strikes deep, deep within it, and when you find God in that way with your love, you find that you are God yourself as well. And I, to me, re- reality—we're we're so we spend so much of our time parsing reality and, and trying to grasp it, and all of the faculties that we marshal in order to do that. Tend to be uh, faculties of of what I think of as the you know the brain and the head, the abstracting faculty that that pulls the world to pieces and tries to assemble those pieces, and and our grasp of reality can only happen through the body, and so then the issue is you know to become aware of how the mind is reaching out and grasping and shuffling and and reforming and and modifying its its own abstractions reality and and never 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 um has that uh gives you that sense of coming to rest in what is real and to me the our uh, you know, we, think, we tend to think of reality as something that's fixed, something, something that exists and is stable and unchanging. And that's because our abstractions lean in that direction. Reality is nothing if it's not fluid. Reality is only exchange. Yeah, and you can think of that on a really simple level. That 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 if if you look at the floor, there is an exchange between the floor and your eyeball that that reveals its colors and textures to you. Without that exchange, the floor wouldn't wouldn't exist for your eye. And so to understand, I, there's a there's a lovely phrase that a friend of mine. Uh, Maureen Freehill uses, uh, we talk about the present moment, and she talks about the present movement, mm-hmm. which I just love because that's, you know, I feel that in my body. I feel, oh, the present movement, and, and to return to the subtlety of the body is to return to the exchanges in the body by which the world is is passing through you. Mm-hmm. And that happens on many, many levels with our breath. The world is passing through us. The, the breath is what enables the, the life-giving oxygen from the plant world to enter our, our lungs and our bloodstream and nourish ourselves. And it, it's this exchange. The world passes through us in our digestive system. And we, boy, we tend to when we feel our digestive system, we, we, you know, we tend to to think of it as as troublesome machinery, uh, valves and pumps, and and it is it is the sacred manifestation of life within us. We're being nourished by the world. The world is passing through us, and what. What no longer nourishes us from the world passes through us. What does nourish us passes into it and into us. And to understand that as the world passing through you is to understand it as your your most basic reality. And as as to understand it within the framework of the sanctity of life itself.
0: While you were talking. I had this image of and this feeling of tenderness for uh, my intestines, like I never have before, and uh, and seeing the rose being born out of the garbage pile, as Teknatan would say, you know, and how um, how how clean shit is. How amazingly clean it is.
1: And, and shit is also our way of nourishing the world.
0: Exactly.
1: You know, it, it, we, 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 we demean it, we were made uncomfortable by it. It's, it. In its essence, it is a gift to the world, or in exchange for what the world has offered us.
0: And many times, as as children, we are we are shamed for it in a way, in the same way as uh, for a long time it has been accustomed to shame children for their feelings. Yes. So you gave me that that um, that, that tender image uh, of my intestines. I want, and, yes, go ahead, please.
1: Well, I was just going to say that, that what, what happens for me, you know, when I, when I am willing, you know, we, we tend to go down inside our bodies to see what we're feeling. And more and more, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm going down inside my body to experience the world passing through me. Mm-hmm. And at one and the same time, it it you know it slightly distances me in a way, or disengages me from a, an ego place, and makes that experience so deeply intimate and personal. And it's a it's a it's a it's a funny thing. You you know just by stepping back that little bit and feeling the world passing through you, suddenly you come into this exquisitely intimate relationship that that is it is a manifestation of the real in a way that no elaboration of ideas could could ever ever convey to us
0: sometimes uh, when i stop i experience the uh, the world like two huge, uh, like these huge waves that you see people surf on sometimes, and there are two huge waves coming from each side of me, and converging inside of me, and then coming back out and going out back out into the fields and and the world once again to come back and converge and go back out. and that brings us back to that
1: you know that saying instead of in the present moment in in the present movement Movement. it's so vividly there
0: I want to ask you Philip uh, would you speak about uh, the uh, myth the story of Orpheus and Eurydice and how you uh, see that uh, myth and describe it in your book so beautifully.
1: I I would love to. It's it's one of my favorites of all the Greek myths. And, and one one thing that really catches me about it is that Orpheus was. He's, to me he's like the the primordial artist, and and he was a musician. And when he played his lyre. Um, all of nature harmonized, so he could he could go into to a battle and begin to play his music, and and the armies would lay down their weapons and and stop fighting. The the lion would lie down with the lamb. <laughs> it was even said when he played, you, you, you could feel the trees moving and the rocks moving to the strains and rhythms of his music, and 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 that. That to me is what art at its finest does. It it it's like a little portal that brings the the colliding forces of the world into relationship and into harmony. So that in that particular artwork, we can feel the pulse of the whole. Because harmony is also always, always a revelation of a whole in which every part answers to every other part <laughs> and in this legend Orpheus this ex- uh, uh, god endowed musician um, fell deeply in love with Eurydice on their wedding day she was killed uh, by a snake and and taken to the underworld and Orpheus was um, devastated by this and decided he had to find her so he headed into the underworld as no mortal had ever done and in that journey down to to pluto's realm he encountered terrors and horrors he encountered the shades and the three-headed dog and and at each encounter he played his music and these these apparitions, these heart-chilling demons were quieted and allowed him to pass and Finally, he, he made this long, long journey deep, deep into the earth and arrived at pluto's lair, and he played his music, and Pluto wept tears of iron at its strains. Mm. And he asked Orpheus, how is it that you, of, of all mortals, only you, were able to come to my realm? And Orpheus' answer is so interesting because he's, his answer was, love is stronger than I. And, and in one sense, you, you understand that to mean his love for Eurydice because he was going to be reunited with her. And and in another sense, the love he has that that his music expresses, he's tapping into the that love of life of the whole of harmony that that disables all all attempts at at division and antagonism. And so, Pluto said. to follow you out but she has to walk behind you and you you must trust that she is there if you look back to check up on her she will be brought back to my realm and so he started out uh, walking back up to the the surface of the earth and and he fought every impulse to, to look back and see his beloved there until he stepped out of the, out of the, the mouth of the cave and he looked back, but, but Eurydice wasn't yet clear of the cave. Oh. And he saw her for a moment and she disappeared. Wow. And that, the, the relevance, there are layers and layers and layers of relevance for me in this, the, the most uh, acute, um portion of that is the fact that like orpheus our 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 being the the female element of our being has been taken from us that that you know that brain in the pelvic bowl that that place of relationship we've we've been cut off from and the journey that he makes to reunite himself with that that female aspect of his being is is a journey that is being and look at it, Mm -hmm. it
0: Assassinate the present moment, yes. 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 Yes,
1: it's an act of assassination. Absolutely.
0: I I see that. Fortunately, it's a missed act of assassination most of the time, but it is Uh like, like pulling the knife on yourself. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and the present disappears and you're left with your own thoughts and then and then we've got this tragic um mistake where we we mistake our thoughts about the present for the present itself
0: beautiful absolutely philip i've been um, thinking a lot lately about being how should i say that about um, lasting love between uh, a couple in uh, in the in, in in the now now because I think that there's been a there's been a great evolution of you know, some of us since the way our parents related to each other so I wanted to ask you this story of Orpheus and Eurydice um, how um, how do you explain Experience it in your own life and in your in your couplehood, in your marriage. If you want to speak about that, because I think uh, it's a very interesting how to live a long term relationship.
1: Yeah, I, I'd be very happy to, and I, I may, I may, um, I may slow down a bit as I find the words for it. I think, I think the way in which you relate to your own body becomes the template for how you relate to the world. So I, I really feel within my own body, um, that, that brain in the head is, is sort of the male pole of my consciousness. And the brain and the belly is the female pool of my consciousness and and the relationship between them is one that 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 is facilitated by an exchange of gifts Mm. so when that thinker in the head has uh, a perspective on something that perspective acquires value when it's actually brought down through the body and brought into relationship with our being. And when that happens, the perspective becomes a sensitivity. And home, home is not up in the head. Home is in that place of being. So to translate that Hmm. into a relationship, and I can only speak personally rather than in general terms, I am constantly, constantly aware of the depth and mystery of my wife. I I stand in awe of that. And whatever ideas I have are offered, you know, not to her ideas, but to her being. And there's not... There's not a day that feels stale. I'm always ready to be surprised um, and I'm I'm a part of me at the core of me is profoundly aware that like Orpheus Mm. and it's not it's not um an occasion for fear or anxiety mm. it's an occasion for absolute cherishing of this transient moment mm. and so that in a way that's another you know that's another part of of that myth that resonates so deeply, and I—it's a play. I mean, it's all play. You know what happens between us? Um, it's we're making up a game, <laughs> and the game
0: changes.
1: And and there's always—I'm you know I'm so blessed in that because there's always a sense of play, even even when there are difficult decisions or, or or confusing issues that we face together mm-hmm. and that you know that play allows us each to be fully present to the other
0: thank you thank you for going deep and and speaking of this let's um Let's perhaps uh, take a moment to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like to ask you to speak about another aspect. What does it uh, mean to you to be an actor?
1: <laughs> oh, I um
0: I know I know it's in the book.
1: I know. Yeah, I yeah. just love I, I, I love it. And why do I love it so much? I mean, one it's life itself, <laughs> even though it's all pretend. It's life itself and 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 to have permission to jump into this boat. Which is this? This other care, this container of that, that holds this other person's life, and to to have permission to jump into that and ride the rapids and let the juices flow—it's it's what happens on on stage is—and this is theater acting, as as distinct mm-hmm. from film, which I also enjoy. But but on theater, the the reality of that, because, because, you know, everything in an actor's training, any exercise worth its salt is, help, is another way of helping the actor to be present. Mm-hmm. Tech, you know, actor's technique, there was a great Polish director I worked with who said technique, well, technique, technique is, is just a matter of getting rid of the obstruction." You know, so vocal technique is about relaxing the tongue root and the jaw and, and, and the pelvic floor in such a way that the, the breath is deep within the body and expresses all that. It's getting rid of the obstruction. So the odds are if you're on stage with another actor, that other actor has worked all their life to know how to be present to you. And, and, and the audience witnessing that event also helps heighten that sense of presence. And so that reality, that, that exchange, even though it's a, you know, made-up script in a, in a in front of a canvas flat trying to look like a castle, you know, that the reality of that exchange is palpable. And, and what, I, what I hope to do In theater, as an actor, at some point is to is to find out how to live the sacred in a play on stage. Because I my um, profoundest experiences in theater have been in Japan, where I've I studied Japanese no theater, this ancient, ancient, highly stylized. Form of theater that is so constrained as, uh, stylistically as a form and l- and the life you know within that constraint the life just blossoms and it blossoms in such a way that that the sacred is made visible on the stage and and touches everyone's heart and and that's my hope that I can that I can move towards that as a, as a maker of theater. Um, And in the meantime, I'm, you know, as an actor, I'm, I'm like pig in mud. I just, I just love it. And it's, it's, it's a relief because, because it's like someone says, okay, your job for the next hour and a half is to be present. Mm -hmm. And so, and so you're sort of let off the hook for all the other things that 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 y- y- you might be distracted by and, and if someone could say to me in my life your job in the next 2 hours is to be present um <laughs> that would make a difference you know it it, mm-hmm. it 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 truly would but but life life isn't isn't like a a play in that way and yet it is so everything i learn as an actor about about being present, it translates into into my life and help, and vice versa. You know, as I as I mature, you know, just as a as a person, that that maturity also leaks into my experience as an actor. So each each helps the other.
0: I I would like to um, go back to uh, the place where you spoke about the Japanese theater, and bringing the sacred to the stage, to your, to your practice as an actor. Could you go down into that um, word sacred and tell us what that means to you? In that context, what you what you felt and understood from that uh, Japanese way of bringing the sacred to the theater. Yeah, it, for me, it, it sort of
1: goes back to what I was saying about Orpheus as as the archetypal artist that that an artist achieves a little portal into harmony and through that harmony all the world can be felt through that particular discrete work of art the world is there to be felt and in theater there's a there's a there's a thing in in no theater um uh, the climax of a play in no theater is a dance, and the main character stops speaking, and there's a chorus uh, that very often takes over his speaking for him in the first person. So the chorus might be saying, "I am, I am now making a p- pilgrimage to the temple," and they're speaking for the character, but the character, uh, or the for the, the actor, um, doesn't speak the words. The main actor, he's just dancing, and, and there's a phrase that that they use when the dance is really going well, they'll say, the actor was being danced by the chorus. And that quality of being danced by the chorus um, shows up in so many ways, I you know, that sense of being danced by the world. I, I, I think of, of athletes when they're, when they're in the zone and it's such a, an extraordinary experience, but in the zone, you know, athletes talk about not, they're not thinking that the whole world is kind of easy and soft and, and my sense is they are being danced by the world. And so, and so when you're armed, as an actor, is lifting, not because you've decided, oh, now is the moment to lift my arm, but because you've surrendered to the life that is pulsing through that theater at that time, and that life is lifting your arm. Your arm is being lifted by the world. Through that gesture, the world, in all its harmony, is manifest. And I think, I think that that... Harmony is the harmony of all the relationships that make life possible and that sustain us in this transient moment. And I I don't know how to speak of the sacred apart from speaking of the whole. So to me, the sacred isn't something outside of the whole the sacred is what suffuses everything if only we would stop separating it from the whole so it's when you when you separate something from the whole that 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 nourishes it and 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 actually holds it in its in its existence in its movement and and informs that movement with a subtlety that we can't even begin to compass with our minds when when we divide something from that whole, we lose the sacredness of it. But, but, but to, to abandon yourself, in a way, to the subtlety of how the world passes through you, is to abandon yourself to that whole that moves every trembling leaf and shifts every cloud in the sky, and that whole. Is where I find the sacred.
0: So the um, the whole is the chorus and the actor.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And 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 we see we see we see through the actor we see so far beyond the chorus mm-hmm. like we see through the actor we feel through the actor our own lives and 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 the lives of those around us and and the hopes and, and dreams of the world Beautiful. because all all are informing his movement Beautiful. And because he's because he's that open to the whole the whole is is entirely there, informing the grace of how he's being moved.
0: So this brings me to the uh, the exercise of the horse. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe you could speak about that in
1: closing uh, of this
0: conversation.
1: I'd love to it the horse is an exercise that was developed by a, a dear friend of mine, Stephen Rumble, who in the in the nineteen sixties had a, a theater company in England and it was a it was a theater company, very physical, imagistic um theatre company. And he, he he was having such difficulty liberating his actors' bodies and he was having a picnic on his birthday in the country with his with his actors and and in the field beside him was was a uh, uh, horse pasture and suddenly one of the horses shook his head and galloped for a bit and then stopped and started eating the grass again and and it was such a beautiful Perfect sight, and and Stephen said, "What? What just happened? The horse, you know, the horse didn't decide to shake its head and run. It, how did it happen? It, it 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 was it it was the body wanting to move. It wasn't a it wasn't a conscious decision. And and of that, the horse exercise was born. And and it's it's something anyone can try in in their own space. And it 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 just begins." by By you know standing and allowing the body to go quiet, more importantly, allowing the mind to go quiet, and at a certain point, the body will want to move, and you let that happen, and you let the body move as it needs to, and you the exercise carries you into a Dionysian irrationality and by that i i mean you know apollo was was the god of order and balance and 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 uh stream of your body's energy and let it speak and it's absolutely one of my favorite exercises
0: beautiful beautiful conversation philip shepherd thank you so much for being with us again this time and um, let's do it again next month
1: cherish these times with you. I I truly do. Thank you so, so much.
0: Thank you, Philip. Me too.